Good morning. So we're going to be talking about, uh, in today's episode, talking about starting your own private practice. So today's episode will be more geared towards providers. Um, and most of the providers within Common Sense have experience now at this point, um, starting their own practice, including Emma and myself. So uh, we're going to be focusing on that and talking about uh, what that entails, what comes with that, uh, what it's like, um, all the pros and cons and things that we know so far. Um, and yeah, but first here is our intro. So Common Sense Mental Health is a, it's, it's basically the overhead for a group of private providers, uh, licensed mental health counselors, social workers, uh, and we operate with our own practices and we provide uh, teletherapy throughout New York State. We also provide in-person therapy as well within the capital region. And all of our providers are competent in teletherapy. Uh, we specialize in video, phone, as well as text-based services. And some of our providers have their own practice that work with Common Sense. And in those practices, they may be overseeing uh, interns or um, sort of pre-licensed providers who are under limited permits uh, or something along those lines. Uh, but that is Common Sense Mental Health in a nutshell. Um, any questions, you're always welcome to reach out and ask, and we will be happy to answer. And welcome back. Um, so we are in a little bit of a silly, goofy mood this morning. Um, I think it's a little early. Uh, it is, um, well, I don't know if I want to say how early it is because people are going to judge that. Well, it's not that early. It's 8 o'clock in the morning. It's actually 8.28 in the morning. Um, um, yeah. I yeah. went to sleep at 4. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Oh, jeez. I'm exhausted right now. Oh, no. I, I didn't realize that. Uh-huh. I think I went to sleep at about 12. Yeah, you did. You passed out, like, while you were on the computer. Mm-hmm. I did. And then we used to nice work to... balance. <laughs> I, well, I was, was gaming. gaming. I was gaming. Was gaming. Yeah. Okay, good, good. Very yeah. yeah, good. Yeah. No, I went to bed at 10.30. I have no good excuse to be this tired. I, 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 yeah. I, I, like I said before, I think you I think you woke up in REM sleep. I think, I think so, too. The wrong part yeah. of the cycle. Yeah. Yeah. I, I never recover from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's rough. Um, so yeah, so let's, we'll dive in, um, and as much as we can, but yeah, I think we're going to probably stumble a little bit and, um, mm -hmm. it's going to be interesting. So that's, that's fine. So talking about private practice and, uh, getting into it. So I think all of us have, in terms of therapists, we all have, uh, different reasons for going into private practice, different journeys that get us to private practice. If we ever do private practice, um, some providers never do it, um, never go out on their own, and that, that's also okay. Um, but uh, yeah, so I guess we could start with talking about how we perceive private practice prior to going into it. Um, yeah. Uh, do you want to start, Emma? Do you want to share your thoughts? This is going to sound awful. Um, that's, a, that's a great way to start. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Going and running, I guess. Um, before I transitioned to private practice and before it even like crossed my mind, this, this is so terrible, but I kind of saw it as like the therapist cop out. Like, oh, oh yeah, I had strong opinions. Oh, I know. Um, sorry to the world for that one. Um, <laughs> But I think a lot of that was kind of like influenced by my previous job and kind of like there was this rationale of like, oh, anyone in private practice, like they're doing the easy therapy, mm. um, you know, the people working at this job, you guys care about clients. And, and there was kind of like this, 
this weird like superiority complex thing that went along with it and initially like as a new clinician I totally bought into it Mm -hmm. so I saw private practice as like in quotes like the boring easy blah kind of therapy which is complete bullshit that is not at all what it is (laughs) um but I kind of viewed it negatively honestly Mm. um and I, I thought you know like people in private practice were only in it for the money and I had this whole thing about how I'm a therapist, I'm working at a not-for-profit, I obviously don't care about money, like, because I'm not making it. (laughs) So um, I I actually had very strong opinions on private practice. Um, And even when I started with Common Sense, when I was first transitioning in to be doing it full-time, it was before it was, like, real private practice. I was still going to be a subcontractor. So I had, like, a little bit of... Mm. um, I don't know, in my mind, I could kind of have a little bit of separation from mm. real private practice. Um, yeah. Yeah, so actually, this is a good, very, very quick, I'll give a little bit of um, background around how common sense has evolved a little bit um, mm-hmm. to kind of give explanation to what you just said, Emma. Um, and then I have some thoughts, too, because I think the timing of this podcast after the imposter syndrome po- podcast is actually really good. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, but just real quick, so common sense action, we very first started, um, we were meant just to be just a practice. So what that means is that common sense wasn't just the overhead. Like, so I was going to be, or I was the clinical director and then providers that were coming in into common sense were going to be under my supervision, licensed or not. Like that's, mm-hmm. I was going to be liable for all of that. Um, there are a few different reasons, which I won't get into on this particular podcast, but a few reasons why I, I was advised legally that turning into what's called an IPA, which is an independent practitioner association, would make more sense for what we do. Um, and that is what we describe ourselves in the intro as, uh, which is that we are the overhead. Um, so I'm no longer a clinical director. I am a CEO. I do have a license and I do operate my own private practice that is contracted with the IPA, um, as, as Emma and as all of our other providers. Um, but, um, but yeah, so that's the difference if that makes sense. Um, but I do want to kind of throw it out there and that's pertinent to today's podcast because that's something that going into my own practice, planning on doing it with other people and people, you know, working with our practice, I learned and I did not, I, I didn't, I didn't, I knew what an IPA was, but I did not know that it was more appropriate for our purposes until I was advised by a lawyer. And right. was told, hey, you may want to submit for this. Um, fun note, we have submitted all of that. And we are all submitted for an IPA. Um, we were just waiting on the state to hand back the paperwork. So technically, we're still kind of a private practice in transition, even though we've we've, sh- we've, shifted, we've shifted our operations, if I can speak this morning, um, so that we operate as an IPA. Um, but uh, just waiting for the, for the state to hand back the paperwork. And then a pandemic started. So, so yeah. 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 Here we are. Um, so, um, so that's why if you notice, if you notice them, I don't actually like refer to us as an IPA yet. Uh-huh. I do refer to us as the overhead because we've started operating that way. But yeah. um, technically, we're still waiting on the state to give us back that paperwork. So, uh-huh. um, if the state is listening, um, which is I don't know how I feel if they are, but if they are, um, please. Um, approve our please, please, please. please we're great providers we do really good work and we're ethical and we're competent and we follow our licensures and yeah uh-huh. anyway um enough of enough plugging of that um i could tell, I could tell like carlos was like okay can you move on to like the next thing um so 
go off what you were saying, Emma. That being said, I um I had a really good impression of prior practice until, and I think for those who listened in our last episode, Emma and I did work at the same previous agency. Um, I've worked at a few different places, but we worked at the same one for a number of years. And I had a pretty good, even when I worked there, I had a good vision of it. But yeah, it was definitely soured, right? I, I definitely had that whole like, oh, well, I work at a nonprofit, so I, you know. I care about my client and, and that was also like yep. drilled into me but prior to that i really saw it as like niles crane and like fraser you know like, I, I saw it like his like practice in like seattle you know, like that's like that's what i imagined and um yeah i just thought but they never they never showed his actual practice they do they show it a few different times okay i i don't really watch the show so i am not so carlos is total total like i'm looking at we're gonna totally tangent today so carlos has um, strong feelings about certain sitcoms and I strong feelings. I just don't care for it. It's something that we've had to navigate in our relationship and, um, I've learned to accept, but it's been hard. It's a um, defining feature, huh? It's yeah. a defining feature. Yeah. And... It, was, it was borderline deal breaker for him. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, you know, I had to, I had to process it out because so, so Carlos, uh, cannot stand Seinfeld and, uh, and yeah, I know. That's a statement I, I know just yesterday he was watching it yesterday and uh it was just giving me a headache because like oh, man. i feel like the dialogue in seinfeld is like the same line 20 times for the entire episode like, but you know like that's how we live our lives that's the point of the show you, you say the same thing 20 times a day. I anyway anyway. <laughs> anyway um anyway so um fraser he's he'll tolerate it more but he doesn't like fraser either um, he mm. loves friends in the office, so that's that has saved us. But um, yeah. Anyway, um, okay. wow. So um, I kind of saw almost like a like a TV show, right? Kind of like what you see in like the media, like oh, I'm gonna have this office and everything's just gonna happen, and I'll see people, and you know, it will be great. Yeah. So it was very like kind of basic, unrealistic. Mm -hmm. um, and then I went to the field, and then. Um, it was interesting too. I, I initially at the agency that we worked at, there was an ongoing joke, and I and I felt like I very much played into it. Um, at least at certain points when I worked there, uh, people being in their own private practice, and what they were what that referred to at that agency was people who, uh, <laughs> who uh, <laughs> I'm gonna <laughs> looking back on it, uh, it, it was essentially people who maintained good boundaries came and did their work yeah. and left. But that's basically yeah. what it was referring to. But it was kind of judged a little bit. It was like, we well, are not really like engaging in the community, you know, and it was like, mm -hmm. there was like a lot of like judgment around that. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so I felt like at times I kind of did that. I would come in, see my clients, go home. Like that's not, um, so that was the case for a while. So I, I don't know, for me, like, you know, that being my first job and like, I felt like, okay, well, no, this basically is kind of like, you know, this is. Uh, this is going to be a mixture of things, right? Yes, I work for a nonprofit and for an agency, but I kind of feel like I'm in my own practice and um, I have my own business cards made up. I didn't use the agency's business cards for a while. Like I did all these things to like, um, but then I think there's this, there was this, um, and, and Emma, you can probably speak to this too. There was this piece that went with that of, yeah, you know, we're helping these clients in this setting, da, da, da. Part of that was not being paid well. And it was almost yeah. like you were supposed to take pride in that. Right. Yes. It's like, you know, and again, it was never, that was never said, but it was like, that was the undertone of like, you know, yeah, you're going to make 30 grand a year. And, and that is, you know, that's okay because you're not like those sellouts who work up at exactly. you know, that practice and, you know, 
Saratoga yeah, the, or the Albany. Or, kind of needed to be demonized in a setting like that in order to allow the low, low, low pay. I think there was truth to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I know other, I know other agencies do that. I know that Absolutely. happens all over the place. Um, Absolutely. I have, I have colleagues talk about it all the time. Um, mm-hmm. or colleagues who have been, who worked in those settings. So, um, yeah. So it was interesting. So I, I kind of got demonized for me too, but then, um, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I still, whenever someone left our agency to go into private practice, there was that little part of me that was like, Oh, I, I, I uh, uh, wonder what that's like. I wonder what, yep. I, I wonder where they're going. Like, and you kind of get this, like, some, like, almost like this, like curiosity of like, mm-hmm. maybe it's not that simple. Maybe it's, maybe it's more complicated than they're evil and I'm good. You know, it's like, exactly. You know, um, there was an intrigue around it. Like, Oh, you're like, because a lot of the clinicians that I saw leaving for private practice were some of like the most skilled clinicians I worked with. So it was kind of like, mm-hmm. I trust you and I trust your ethics and I trust your competence and you're going for it. Like, I know you're not a sellout. So it, yeah. it was just yes. enough to like challenge some of that black and white thinking yeah. to kind of help me say like, Oh, there might be something to this. Yep. Yeah. That's a really good way of putting it. I think that happened for me as well. It was like, wait, I mm-hmm. know so-and-so like, I know if they're yeah. leaving, there must be a good reason why they are choosing that pathway yep. over working for an agency like this. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. That's that's a good way of putting it, Emma. I mean, that was my my perception too. Um, mm-hmm. So that all said, I think Carlos has a question. Um, you keep you keep like motioning to me. I do, but and I'm having a hard time just like trying to like form my thoughts right now. So okay. if I if if I do ask this and it doesn't make any sense at all, I apologize. <laughs> 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 um, but basically, you guys kept mentioning how like private practice has was demonized to you and i guess it like air quotes like right because that's like a that's a pretty dark strong word for you to use like we're pulling no punches yeah it's scary Mm. so like what caused this to be demonized for you like who caused it for you like what what made it so demonizing that you put up with like the low pay and you know what kept you basically working with you know the agency essentially other than your clients um i mean for me i mean oh and then to other also put it in like i feel like none of you guys like really understood your own worth and that's to me that's kind of like what kept you kept uh-huh. you there it's like it was yes. again it's that imposter syndrome type thing where it's like private practice does have its appeal but yes do am i skilled enough to be a private practice therapist that is that is exactly it like you just Uh you just nailed it like that is uh well a couple of things i mean part of it and 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 again not to sound cliche but it's true it it, it really was it it was the clients that we worked with right because we you know you get used to a particular population whatever agency you work for whatever their specialty is and you you become accustomed to that so that there was there are elements of that but that was the big thing like and this does tie into the imposter syndrome podcast at least for me oh absolutely for me right it's like well no these other therapists they've been doing this for so many years and they at some point maybe it was at year 10 year 15 someone walked into their office and said you are now an expert uh-huh. And now they get to do all these things, and uh-huh. that is not me. And I don't hold that knowledge, and so I can't do those things. 
so that's that was quite literally the belief like that was i wouldn't have phrased it that way at the time but like that was now granted i want to be careful with this you know we are young right i am Uh young and what i've tried to do within our practice not to go off on a tangent um is try to surround myself with experts and people who have either been in the field longer than me or who know what they, they they know what they're talking about in a particular area you know, so I have a lawyer that I work with. I have an accountant I work with. We have a billing person that we use. Um, there's other examples too, but like just, you know, anyone who knows more than I do, I try to pull them in for what we're doing here. Um, Absolutely. And I'm a huge believer in that. Like, cause I don't know what I'm doing, but there was a point where the belief was that, that you're supposed to know everything that you're doing. And until you know everything that you're doing, this is a, a big part of imposter syndrome. If you, if, until you know everything about that thing, hundred percent, you shouldn't, you, sh- you should not do that thing then you're not uh-huh. competent enough. You're not, you're, you're, not not competent. Good enough. you're not good enough. You're not, you know, and that's irresponsible. You shouldn't do that thing. And the, the reality though, is that you can never know hundred percent, right? You can, uh-huh. you can read up on, you can become competent enough. You can, you know, but like you cannot, you know, know something perfectly. So I think those views and beliefs very much held me in that role. I don't know about you, Emma, where that goes for you. So absolutely. The imposter syndrome was hugely at play for me. Um, I also, to the part about how private practice was demonized, the times when I can most clearly like think of when private practice was demonized was often when I was struggling with something about my role and was like talking about it in um, not necessarily supervision. It depended on my supervisor because I had a few. Um, but sometimes it would be in supervision with specific supervisors. Other times it would just kind of be like in team meetings if the team was talking about struggling with something. Um, That's when it would come in like, well, you know, not everyone can make it in this field. Um, (laughs) Yeah, you know the spiel, right? (laughs) Not everyone can make it in this field. Some people leave and they go off and do easy counseling in private practice or they go into a completely unrelated field and they leave mental health entirely because they so can't do this. Um, and it would kind of breed this, like, I think you were hitting on this earlier, like that superiority of like, the, like I'm a martyr I, I in a once, way. I, I, just to jump in with this for a second. I once, and this is, this is a good example of what kept me. And it wasn't at that agency. It had nothing to do with the agency mm-hmm. that, that we shared. Another yeah. agency I worked at, I had a clinical supervisor who, um, she outright told me as I was going into my own practice and she, and she knew for, <laughs> uh, Car- uh, Carlos has his own reactions to it. Um, yeah. uh, side note to our dog is like right at our feet. So if you hear like this jingling, that's, that's what that, that's what that <laughs> jingling is. Jingling and groaning. And groaning. She's like still waking up. She's kind of groggy. Um, uh, but no, so this supervisor who knew I was going into private practice. I mean, she like knew this from months and months. Like this was not news. But then when I finally decided to move on from this particular practice, you know, she she kind of um, how should I put this? Uh, struggled with it. She struggled. She yeah, big time. So, but one one thing that was said, um, she she goes, well, she starts sharing these examples of other agencies and, and practices, or at least I think one in particular. I can't remember the name of it. But apparently that was operational. They had engaged in like insurance fraud or something, and were they like shut down. Um, and was talking about how it was all over the, the local news, all over, you know, the paper, blah, blah, blah. And basically saying, you know, well, I'm, I'm concerned that you're going to go off and do this and you're going to end up on the front page of a newspaper for having done something without realizing it or doing something. And I remember like just, her, and, and, and what was so messed up was that it was coming across as a supportive thing, right? It was like, well, you're young 
and you're just starting in this, you're rushing into this. I mean, granted, like messages that are important to consider and to think about going into this for sure. And pop part, part of what helped me at that time was that that's what I worry about all the time. So I'm kind of like lady, <laughs> like you have no idea how much I think about this um, and how many people I've talked to prior to us having this conversation. But um, yeah, like outright trying to like, I mean, it was almost like she, you know, was trying to put together a sort of like a, a, uh, a, uh, imposter syndrome package and was trying to like hand yep. it to me on a platter, like here, exactly. you know, please eat this. And, mm -hmm. um, yeah, like, I mean, just outright, you know, whereas at, at our agency, I'll, I'll give credit where it's due. It was much more beneath the surface you know, it was mm -hmm. much more like, it you know, it was, it was subtle. I think even the supervisors brought into it. You know what I mean? Like, I think people mm -hmm. around us bought into it. I, I bought into it. I'm sure I perpetuated mm -hmm. it, you know? So like, you know, it was a lot more subtle. She was just outright like guns blazing. Um, so so that, that's a good example. I think I've shared that story with you before, Emma. But that's a good, yep. a good example though of um, of what kept me from doing this. Um, and 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 again, here's the thing, right? I guess, and this pertains both to our last episode and today. For me, what helps me navigate that because that like that's a huge fear of mine, right? Is that I'm going to fuck up, and then yeah. um, I hope we, we don't swear too much. This doesn't end up on like the Apple Podcasts platform like i'm always worried if we do that too much they're gonna be like uh, you can't like post this i don't think they can you don't think they can i, I don't know i mean i've i've heard some pretty no this no there's some pretty vulgar there's some pretty bad podcasts out there well right now our, our page if you go on there it yeah. says that we have clean lyrics and oh. i and i don't know if like do you lose that if it gets like i don't know anyway i'm just we'll see anyway it doesn't matter i mean it probably doesn't matter anyway i'm more impressed that we have lyrics I know, I know, uh -huh. same. I'm like, wow, we're like a band. Um, <laughs> that's our next endeavor. That's right, yeah, exactly. Um, what was I saying? You're talking about, like, what if I fuck this up, or oh, yeah, yeah. I have this fear that I'm going to. So, like, I have a fear that I'm going to, right? I still have my own imposter syndrome, and I think I have healthy fear, right? Like, I have uh -huh. a fear that, like, yeah, no, I need to be careful. I need to make sure I bill insurance properly. I need to make sure that I'm, you know everyone in works with us has a, you know, either has a license or it's clear that they, you know, like I have to, you know, we have to make sure that we're doing things legally and ethically and all that, all that jazz. Yeah. Um, and I, I had, I come to terms with, I think, at least I think I have, I, I don't know. I don't know if you can come to terms with us, but kind of going off of that supervisor's point or whatever she was trying to do. Um, am I okay with ending up on the front page of a newspaper? And I think I've decided that I am like, if it comes down to it, if I totally, botch something and that happens it would be horrifying but mm -hmm. i would get through it i would live and uh -huh. um i probably move in with my mom and go into another field hopefully i don't think it'll be that serious <laughs> yeah, no, I, that's not gonna that's not gonna happen i'm just saying like you know trying to kind of follow that fear to the end right like we do with mm -hmm. our clients and like yep. yeah no that's not gonna happen no. we're, we're gonna be fine we're gonna be very successful but like I've had to think that through and that helped me get through that conversation with her was thinking, okay, mm -hmm. well, what if that does happen? Like, like what if she's, what if she's absolutely right? Right. Oh, okay. Then, then she is. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, but no, that's, that's not going to happen. I'm not, you know, what are you going to say something? Um, I have a couple things to say, but I won't say that. <laughs> 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 I have very strong thoughts right now. Um, no, but in hearing all that that's 
it kind of, for me, um, and I'll respond to this and then I'll, I'll see if we can see if Emma has anything to put and then we can take a break real quick. Sure. But, um, basically every time I, what, while I'm hearing this, I keep hearing like, I don't know how to explain it. Like I have, I have had a lot of jobs in like customer service and just like regular, like run of the mill jobs. And what you're describing from your supervisors just sounds like a supervisor from like a customer service like job and to me that does not make sense like in that job they're, they're like doing anything they can to keep their their employees if they don't care how unhappy their employees are they just they just need someone to be on register you know and then just someone to be on register basically and then and then hearing you say that it's like that doesn't make sense why why are you being so mistreated by your supervisors when they need you to be at your best to help your clients the best that you can well carlos <laughs> <laughs> I have opinions here. <laughs> Emma is awake. She has arrived. <laughs> I am awake now. Coffee's kicking it. One of my biggest lessons I've learned in my relatively short career is um, there's not a huge difference. Like, what you're picking up on, yep. Um, one of my biggest frustrations is that in a field that, like if I think back to grad school, Every single class talked about three things. Ethics, like be ethical, don't sleep with your clients, um, get supervision, it's amazing, and self-care is necessary. And then I went <laughs> yeah, out to the field. That's, that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like every single class hit on them. Yep. Once I went out into the field, I mean... Ethics are probably the ones that are most consistently applied. It depends, of course, on the place you're working. Like, some places are more ethical than others. Um, so ethics I'll put to the side. But supervision is sometimes spotty. Sometimes you have to, like, fight for your supervision. Sometimes your supervisor is just not good. And then that self-care piece will sometimes get brought up when everyone is at their breaking point, And it'll be a really nice, on the surface, it looks like we're doing a good job, kind of a Band-Aid. Like, Oh, so everyone, let's let's have a meeting about self care, and it's always a surface level. Like, well, sometimes I try to do yoga on weekends. Mm -hmm. I like to color. <laughs> like, and it's just and there's no depth to it. Like, it is astounding that a field that encourages so many like healthy boundaries for our clients and like this this way of living to be most beneficial for our clients does not actually apply that to the people working in the field. And I, I know I'm making broad statements and generalizations. I don't necessarily want to say that's everywhere. Um, like, within common sense, it's absolutely encouraged. If it's like, oh, hey, I said I was going to have X amount of clients, but I'm realizing that that's too much for me. I have to stop taking new referrals. You just get it like, okay, let us know if you change your mind. It's not, well, you know, these clients need care, and you're the only one. Ah. Like, <laughs> yeah. You're the only one who can save them. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, exactly. Yes. The numbers are so, too low. We need you to have, you know, exactly. clients. You need to be having 30 sessions a week. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah but the, the, so, like, common sense challenges that in many ways. But just the field in general seems to be pretty... Um, pretty encouraging of just unhealthy crap for its counselors yeah. Yeah. statistics 
Yeah. Well, and, and we won't get we won't get off on this. We talked a bit about this in that our last podcast. I keep wanting to say last session, last podcast. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I think that's a lot of that goes back to the systems issue, right? It's like well, again because providers are going to listen to this at least within New York State, probably you know beyond, or if we have anyone who listens outside of New York State, and um, I think providers would relate who have worked in any kind of an agency like this. Mm-hmm. It's because, you know, because going back to what you said, Carlos, those numbers, that goes back to the funding. That goes back to, you know, yeah. so-and-so has to have, you know, beyond the recommended, you know, X clients, they have to have double or whatever the legal limit is because mm-hmm. the lack of funding or, you know, so there's a lot of issues that play into that and I think create that. And yeah, it, it, to go off what Emma said, it absolutely is customer service because I think what happens is, and this is something that, and why I'm actually really excited about us becoming an IPA, because I think it actually helps us differentiate some of this, um, yeah. is that therapists, so therapists go into the field with their own, um, with their own issues, right? With their own, their own shit. Um, okay. And um, I wonder if that will take us into the explicit content category. <laughs> I'll say shit enough times and see if we can enter that category. Um, Perfect. Right. Um, but no, but they come in with their own, their own shit and they... I think I think that's part of it, and then the other part of it is we come into it and we do want to make money. We want to live successful lives, right? We we have we have licensures, right? We went to graduate school, and all the power and privilege that's supposed to come with that, we want that. You know, we we we, we want to grab hold of that, um, especially once you get out of the sort of like brainwashing of you know only good therapists work in nonprofits. You know, once you get out of that mold, it's yeah. like, you know, no, I, I I want, and I've worked for other supervisors who are very power and money hungry. Um, I, I want to make good money. Like that's not, that's not a secret. Um, so I think that that there's that business element that comes into play. And I think that's where the customer service aspect comes in Carlos. And that's, um, and that's why I very dramatically repeated the one thing that you said, because it is like having someone on register. Like that's exactly what it's like. Like that, mm-hmm. they just like nailed it. Like that's, it's like, you know, we need someone who can not only take these clients, but who's going to be willing to do it for this low pay, you know, who's going to be yeah. willing to do it for, um, you know, and um, yeah, that's, that's exactly what it is. And then I think part of what happens too, and I've talked to other providers in the area about this um, and it's, it's well known, at least within the capital region, it's known to be a thing. I don't know if it's a thing in other areas. It probably is, but um practices here agencies here not all of them um but a lot of them tend to be very possessive like they really struggle with it's like like they think that you're going to work with them for the next you know 40 50 like like, i don't know the agency that we worked i don't i don't really know what they expect with their people the other practice i worked at i don't really know what that the woman who told me i was going to be on the newspaper i don't know what she expects like Uh at some point people are going to probably move on some may not and some probably will and Uh But there's this like battle every time someone does that. Every time someone decides to go off yeah. and do something, it's like a thing. It gets really yeah. weird. I mean, it's mm-hmm. and it's very like about loyalty. And you know, we joke. Carlos and I have joked about the you know kind of comparing it to. And I, in fact, I, I worked for a a uh, supervisor who was in on the joke too. It very much is like House of Cards kind of dynamic or you know set of dynamics that play out within this field. You know, and it, yeah. and it happens. You know, um, it happens within private practices. And so I think that that kind of plays into what you were saying, Carlos, about the the customer service aspect of it. He's grinning because we're supposed to, like, I guess, take a, a quick break. Well, that and the House of Cards analogy, like, there's, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's, there's just a lot of truth to it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so that's, that, um, yeah, there's a, so, yeah. 
Any any additional uh-huh. thoughts on that before we do break? No, I mean, no, I'll you nailed it. We'll, we'll pick, mm-hmm. I'll pick it up when we get back. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. So we'll take a quick break and then we will be back. Okay. Actually, I think after this spotlight, we'll call it for this episode because we're pushing on a little over half an hour. Uh, and then we'll just pick this up next week, right where we left off. And that episode should also be about half an hour. So I'll see you guys next week. Bye. So our next spotlight is going to actually be on Kelly Benjamin. Uh, Kelly is a uh, mental health counseling intern under my license. Uh, he is an intern um, with my private practice uh, from SUNY Albany, uh, but he has a case act and he's actually been in the field for uh, at least five, six years. Uh, fantastic clinician, has a lot of experience in substance use, has experience uh, working within a, teto- within a, sorry, within a detox setting. Um, and uh, he now has experience in family systems, working with clients who identify as poly, um, as well as other areas. So um, again, great to work with, uh, very client-centered, very much lets the client sort of lead the work and, and uh, lead, their, lead their goals. Uh, and yeah, 